This is Talk of Iowa. I'm Dennis Reese. Since the time of Hippocrates, dreams have been valued for their ability to warn of an impending illness, prescribe cures, in some cases, apparently help heal the disease. In the ancient temples of Asepolis, the sick and incurable came to seek a dream healing. These temples for healing dreams recorded numerous successes, which can still be read in stone carvings as testaments to the healing power of dreams. Modern people have also noticed a link between dreams and impending illness, possible cures, and healing. Today we'll be talking with author Robert Wagner about some of the ancient and modern research and thinking on dreams and health. We'll also be looking at lucid dreaming, or being consciously aware in the dream state as a possible means to consciously encourage the healing process. Have you ever received a dream warning of a possible illness, or have you had a dream which suggested a possible cure? Call in today as we talk about dreams and healing with author Robert Wagoner, following news. And this is Talk of Iowa for today. I'm Dennis Reese, and it's Lucid Dreaming Day on the program as we talk again to Robert Wagner of Ames, author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. Robert is in our Iowa Public Radio studios in Ames. Good morning, Robert. Hi, Dennis. I want to ask you, is there really a link between dreams and impending illness, possible cures, and healing? You know, it definitely seems like there is. Um, It's something that's been reported since ancient times. Almost every ancient civilization, the ancient Chinese, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Egyptians— Almost every native culture has noticed the connection between dreams and healing and also dreams and health information. Uh, As I noticed that normally the information comes in three uh, significant areas. Uh, First, uh, in dreams, we often receive diagnostic and dreams that warn us of a developing illness or disease. And also in some cases, uh, we have prescriptive dreams. Uh, dreams that suggest things that we should do, uh, possibly things that we should eat, or new emotional states that we should develop in order to uh, have kind of a prescription for for a cure of a developing situation. And and finally, you have curative dreams, uh, dreams in which uh, something powerful happens, and at that point, either the person wakes up uh, with the sense of being cured, or at that moment uh, when they wake the healing process really begins in earnest. This is sort of miraculous, I'm sure, when it it happens, just the the idea that it could happen. You sent me some interesting history, Robert, uh, going back to uh, ancient times. In Greek history, more than 300 temples were built to the great physician and healer, uh, Sepolis. I I probably didn't say that right. Asclepius. Scopius, considered uh, a semi-divine man at these temples, the primary therapeutic technique was to prepare a request to request a dream healing or healing prescription. Thousands of successful dream healings were recorded and carved into the stones around the temples. Uh, Some dream healings occurred during the dream, while in the others, the the supplicant was told what he or she must do to become healed. So there's actually uh, a physical evidence of these... uh, uh, these dreams uh, recorded and carved into stones around the temples. Right. Uh, th- this, uh, this Asclepius uh, healing was uh, considered to be very popular, and uh, that's why more than 300 temples were built in the Mediterranean area uh, dedicated to Asclepius and healing. Uh, normally what would happen is that the people who came there uh, were normally uh, guided in a dream to come to the local temp- temple and when they got there, 
that they would often go through a uh, incubation period. And during this uh, week-long period, uh, they'd often fast or bathe in sacred springs or do something like that to prepare uh, for Asclepius to come to them in a dream and either give them advice or, or heal them on the spot. Are these uh, stones still around today? Yeah, yeah. If you go to the uh, Temple of Asclepius in Epidurus, uh, Greece, uh, you can still see the stones with the carvings about the cures. Um, nowadays, people often talk about that the cures were carved on there just to kind of uh, subconsciously or mentally prepare the person to have a healing dream. And so they're kind of used as advertisements are today to kind of get the person in the proper mood, the proper frame of mind. And then you say later Hippocrates, of course, uh, that's where the Hippocratic Oath uh, came from, apparently wrote an essay called On Dreams, in which he describes how dreams provide information about the illness and diagnostic dreams. And he, he noted that dreams sometimes showed the emotional and psychological issues involved in the illness. So Hippocrates uh, also uh, writing about the same topic. That's, that's quite interesting. Did he? What else did he have to say about it? Well, uh, Hippocrates and, and Galen, who's a famous uh, uh, surgeon fr- from the time, a medical doctor from the time, that they always found that uh, frequently when they talked to the person with the illness or, or the disease about their dreams, they'd often get diagnostic information about what needed to be done or what the dream was related to. Because sometimes they saw that the issue was actually an emotional or psychological issue uh, that that required kind of a, a new emotional state or a new frame of mind for the person. We'd like to hear from listeners this hour. Have you ever received a, a dream warning of a possible illness, or have you had a dream which suggested uh, a possible cure? We'll call in today as we talk about dreams and healing with author Robert Wagner. The toll-free number is 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100. Email is talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Robert, I know you have uh, some real-life examples because you sent me some audio clips. I don't know if you want to uh, go to that right now. I have them ready whenever you are. You you know, I'd I'd like to go to one uh, because I thought about this program a month ago when I was driving along listening to um, The Sleep Doctor on Talk of Iowa, Dr. Eric Dyken. And uh, he told about a uh, dream that he had that gave him health advice and, and prompted him to take action. So if you could run that. Right. This is Dr. Eric Dyken speaking on uh, Talk of Iowa in March. But years ago, uh, around Thanksgiving, uh, when Grandma came over and I could eat, and then we were getting those Guinness stouts right before sleep, I had two dreams in a one-week period where my doctor, my back doctor, told me to try to sleep on my back because of some problems I was having. I woke up dreaming I was drowning, and I woke up and I couldn't breathe. And that's how I found out I had sleep apnea. So we sort of jump from coldness to apnea. All right, that's the end of the, that, right, uh, that right. cut. But I, I do remember that uh, he was on live during a fundraising week, and um, he, he's had a terrible problem with sleep apnea over the years, ironically, being a uh, uh, professor of neurology. But, of course, he's, uh, he, uh, he uh, has a, a machine that runs on forget the name of the machine right now. CPAP, isn't it? That's right. Uh, there are machines that help yeah, people with CPAP. sleep apnea. Yeah. But he uh, he 
had a dream about that uh, particular uh, condition. That's very interesting. Right, right. I think the important thing to realize in that particular case, he dreamt about the he dreamt symbolically about the the condition twice in the same week. He he dreamt he was drowning, and he he dreamt it repeatedly. And so that's one thing that I want to point out to people today. Uh, that that oftentimes one way you learn of diagnostic or forewarning uh, health dreams is that they are repeated. They begin to occur and occur until finally uh, you begin to pay attention and, and realize that that something needs attention. But um, I, I think the the other case that where we where we find forewarning dreams is in the other audio clip, mm-hmm. and, and this is an audio clip from uh, author uh, Wanda Birch who wrote a book, She Who Dreams, and tells about how she learned in the dream state that she had cancer and needed to get that taken care of. If you can run that. Right. Let's listen now. This is Wanda Birch. This one announced itself in very, very direct language. My father turned to me and said, we're leaving now. You have breast cancer. And your father had died some years before? Yes, my father had died a year before, as a matter of fact. So, after a long history of dreaming in a symbolic and general way about what might be developing in your body, it was the visitation from your departed father in a dream that gave you the name of your disease and led you to the doctors, who subsequently were able to find the symptoms. Yes, and he was panicked in the dream because I wasn't getting it, and it was time for me to get it. Yeah, that was Robert uh, Moss doing the interview with uh, Wanda Birch. Right, exactly. And so the important thing to realize in that case is that the dreamer gets a direct announcement. In an emotionally urgent way, her deceased father appears, and actually her deceased father was there with a doctor in, in her dream account and tells her that she has breast cancer and she needs to attend to it immediately. So so those are the kind of two ways that... Uh, these kind of diagnostic dreams or forewarning dreams occur. Uh, oftentimes we'll have an announcement where um, a friend, a deceased relative, a doctor appears in our dreams and just tells us outright, you have this illness, you need to pay attention to that. And the second way is the way that uh, Dr. Dykin mentioned, which is we get symbolic information repeatedly. And by looking at the symbols in Dr. Dykin's case of of kind of drowning, uh, dreaming of drowning each night, uh, that he realized that he had something similar, which is sleep apnea. So those are the two ways. We we get it either announced very directly or we get it in a symbolic sense. Mm -hmm. Let's go to a caller. Uh, This is uh, Lewis calling uh, from Story County. Uh, Good morning, Lewis. Actually, my well, name is Lois. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very. I'm very sorry. I couldn't tell from the spelling, but you're on the air. Well, thanks. I had a wonderful curative dream. Um, this has been some time ago when I was um, in my uh, early 30s. But since I had been a very young child, I had had really, really terrifying nightmares about hell. I was raised in a very fundamentalist system that put a lot of fear around religion. And I had been uh, dealing with this for a while and making, like in my waking life, as well as my dreaming life and spiritual life, I'd been making progress towards embracing the, the love element of spirituality and religion and letting go of the fear element. And I had this amazing dream. Oh, I should back it up to say that 
the dreams I had had prior that were very frightening hell dreams, the symbol for hell would change. Sometimes it was, um, one time it was a, a uh, nuclear missile silo, which is very interesting. Right, right. <laughs> um, it would be things like an outhouse and being at the bottom of an outhouse, which is really hideous. Right. Um, sometimes it would be more typical like hell and uh, hellfire and brimstone, but a lot of times it would be these symbols of other kinds of terror right, or right. fearful or really awful things. And, and so did you develop and a disease? I didn't. Uh, well, I guess I probably had some uh, physical symptoms around anxiety and illnesses right. that were... Um, I was sick a lot. I could tell you that. I was physically ill a lot. And when I had this curative dream, but I, would, I think it was more like spiritual and emotional, but that, you know, it does tie into our physical health and well-being as well. So right. I think it's all connected personally. And this dream was um, such that there were these two shores, and there was, in between the two shores, you could see the one shore at a great distance, and then the body of water that was in between the two shores was icy cold. So it was L- really Lois, can you hold on? Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. I really okay. am. It's just, uh, just uh, we'll put, put you on pause, okay? Thank you. And Thank uh, get back to the rest of this dream in just a minute as we continue with Robert Wagner. Robert Wagner, author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. We'll take your calls at 866-780-9100. Talk of Iowa back in a minute. Talk of Iowa continues. I'm Dennis Reese. Today it's our lucid dreaming expert uh, from Ames, Robert Wagner, author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. And uh, unfortunately, the clock, the old clock on the wall, uh, had us uh, cut off Lois, who's calling from Story County. I want you to maybe back up just... uh, about 15 seconds, so we can sort of get back into the rest of uh, the, the dream you were experiencing, Lois. Okay. Well, and, and dreams take a while to get out, as you probably know. Uh, so it was a curative dream, and it was a recovery from a lot of anxiety and maybe some physical ills that went along with um, being very afraid about um, hell. And so in this dream, after a series of really negative dreams, um, I was on the shore looking at the other shore far, far away, and there was a very icy cold body of water in between, and you had to swim through that really icy, icy water, and if you didn't make it, that was hell, and if you made it, on the other shore was heaven, and so I'm getting pushed into this icy cold water, and I'm thinking I'm a terrible swimmer, I'm never going to make it, and then these demons and devils and little impish, horrible, scary-looking guys are trying to pull me under, and all of a sudden, when I think I'm going to go to hell, from under the water comes a great big polar bear, and it comes up under me, and it gets me on its back, and it takes me to the other shore, heaven, and I woke up, and I said out loud, that is my very last hell dream. And it was, and I totally knew it. So when you said that curative dreams, you often just know that you're okay. That <laughs> was right. I was done, and I haven't had the emotional or um, related, uh, you know, physical uh, ills right. around that upbringing ever, ever since. I right. Mean, it was so, quite amazing. So I think Lois points out a has an excellent dream that shows how even an emotional state of anxiety about a possible spiritual condition oftentimes uh, can be exemplified or shown in a dream state. And when we have that moment of despair, 
that that the cure comes. And in this case, it was symbolized by a great big white polar bear. And uh, <laughs> oftentimes you'll find in these uh, curative dreams or, or sometimes you'll have dreams from people who have had a serious illness and, and they have healing dreams as their illness subsides after surgery or something, that oftentimes animals appear in a very helpful, uh, caring, compassionate way and, and help the uh, dreamer uh, achieve healing. Polar bear might scare some other people in a dream. <laughs> right. but, but, this uh, is a very good polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. And Lois, you've been feeling, it uh, sounds like you've been feeling well since. That's fabulous. Yeah, it's Th- my favorite dream. Okay, thanks so much for that call. Appreciate it. <laughs> Lois called from Story County, 866-780-9100. Let's, uh, let's get another caller on. Here is Tom uh, from Iowa City. Good morning, Tom. You're on Talk of Iowa. Hey, Dennis. Thank you very kindly. Um, I had a question or a couple questions. Can we develop um, oh the sense to realize that we actually are in a dream? And secondly, can we uh, alter the dream's consequences? Right, if, right. If we if we know we're in a, we're in a dream, I, I hope I came in at the end of the conversation, so I don't know if you've covered that already. No, uh, th- thanks, Tom, for bringing that up. So, so um, lucid dreaming is when we become consciously aware in the dream state that we're dreaming. How do you uh, do this, that? Well, um, oftentimes, uh, so this is something that's been scientifically proven uh, since 1980 uh, through the work of. Dr. Stephen LaBerge uh, out at Stanford. But basically what happens is that oftentimes people will will find something impossible in the dream state. Like they might see their deceased grandmother, and at that moment they think, wait a second, grandma's been dead for 20 years now? This must be a dream. And at that moment they can become consciously aware and lucid. Oh. Uh, so, so the way some people induce lucid dreaming uh, currently is uh, – before they go to sleep, they'll say to themselves mentally, uh, tonight in my dreams, when I see something odd, I'll realize I'm dreaming. Uh, so they'll use suggestion. Oh. Uh, other people uh, use the technique uh, developed by uh, Stephen LaBerge called the mild technique, the uh, mnemonic induction of lucid dreams. So what they do in the middle of the night when they wake up, uh, they, remem- they remember their last dream and now they kind of role play. They see themselves in this dream that they just remembered, uh, becoming consciously aware and becoming lucid. And then they go back to sleep, telling themselves, in the next dream, I'm going to become consciously aware and realize I'm dreaming. And so, so by practicing techniques like that, uh, which are also in my book, uh, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, you can realize that you're dreaming. Now, now what I do bring up in my book is it's the first time there's really been a chapter on healing in the lucid dream state. So you're consciously aware in the dream state. You can do whatever you want. You can fly around, talk to the dream figures, walk through walls. But, but, <laughs> but what I gathered were anecdotes from about 12 different people in which they'd become consciously aware in the dream state and decided to try and heal themselves. Uh, various people had various ailments. Uh, one person had an infected tonsil. Another woman had uh, plantar warts on her feet that were very painful. And like the woman with plantar warts, she became consciously aware in the dream state. Remember these horrible plantar warts? She, in the dream, created a ball of light and put it over each of her feet, intending for the light to heal them. And she said when she woke up, all of her plantar warts had turned black, and within 10 days they all fell off and they never returned. 
And so these are some of the interesting ways that people have used lucid dreaming uh, to apparently heal themselves in the dream state. But 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 really, there haven't been any scientific studies on healing in lucid dreams. So so it's really an area that needs more study. Oh well, thank you very kindly. Thank you, Tom. Good to hear from you. Uh, just a few minutes before the break. So I think, uh, well, let's see, let's, uh, rather than go to an email, let's go to uh, another caller before the break. Kenny is calling in from West Liberty to talk of Iowa. And Kenny, you're on the program. Welcome. Yeah, it's Carrie. It's Carrie. <laughs> now I've done, I've blown two out of three names so far. I'm. <laughs> it's a consonant. <laughs> yes, sorry. Okay. Well, I've had diabetes for over 40 years, uh, type 1 diabetes. And and a symptom of that is that over time you kind of lose the symptoms of having the low blood sugars. And for a period of time, I dream at night of going to the kitchen for something to eat. And indeed, upon testing my blood sugar at that point at the night, it was it was way down there, like below fifty. It's supposed to be a hundred. I see. And. Um, so this happened for a short period of time, and it was almost like I was in training to wake myself up and get something to eat. So I just wanted to right. share that. No, thank you, Carrie. That's an excellent point, because the the current thinking is that sometimes subconsciously uh, we have awareness of tiny, minute changes in our body, in our physical chemistry, in our makeup. And so subconsciously this awareness appears in the subconscious state of dreams, and gives us advice on something we should do. And in Carrie's case, it showed her quite uh, directly that she needed to get up and get something to eat um, and, and, and correct her blood sugar level. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you, Carrie. That, that's an excellent dream, uh, and I, I appreciate that. Because, because in a very subtle way, that is kind of a forewarning, just telling us, hey, time to do something before we have a problem. Yeah, and when I wouldn't get up, uh, when these dreams were absent, I mean, I would just totally slip into unconsciousness and require medical assistance. So it was quite a turnaround. Oh, excellent. Yeah, it it does show how uh, valuable uh, these diagnostic and forewarning dreams can be in, in keeping us in a healthy state. Well, I'm enjoying the program. Thank you very much. Okay, Carrie, thanks a lot. Carrie calling from West Liberty. And I was going to ask something similar to that because you talk about uh, dreams uh, alerting you to some serious illnesses, uh, life-threatening illnesses. What about dreams that, uh, healing dreams that just are sort of suggestions like you need to lose some weight or get some more exercise before something bad happens. Right, right. You know, uh, people actually have those kind of dreams as well, That uh, d- dreams that suggest that um, you should begin a type of exercise program or dreams that suggest that you should begin to eat a certain type of food or that you should stop eating so much of another food. So um, all of these are kind of prescriptive dreams, but oftentimes because... We don't pay attention to our dreams. We don't really see the value in that. And someone like Carrie, who has uh, diabetes, uh, realized that whenever she had these kitchen-type dreams or dreams about food, uh, oftentimes they were suggestive. She needed to do something uh, at that moment. We'll take a break for five minutes and get back to our conversation with Robert Wagoner, author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, as we're talking uh, this hour especially about dreams uh, where... People are warned of impending illness or dreams that uh, where you received advice or suggestions for a possible cure. We'd like to hear from you. 
uh, in the next half hour. 866-780-9100 or talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Talk of Iowa continues. I'm Dennis Reese. It's our lucid dreaming expert, Robert Wagner, who's in our Iowa Public Radio studios in Ames. And, Robert, we've had some really interesting calls so far, people who have uh, had dreams about uh, dealing with uh, medical uh, health issues, uh, curative dreams, diagnostic dreams, all a part of uh, lucid dreaming. And uh, uh, before we get back to calls, is there anything you want to mention uh, before we get back to calls? Right. Uh, Just to tell people again that when we're looking at diagnostic dreams or forewarning dreams, uh, normally they come in two different areas. Uh, Either we'll have a very direct announcement, and oftentimes that announcement comes with emotional urgency in the dream, and oftentimes that announcement will tell us exactly what disease or ailment we have. So that's kind of the first way. And oftentimes if you get a dream like that, uh, I, I would go to my doctor and seek medical attention and uh, have it investigated. But the other way that dreams are forewarned or give us diagnostic health information is symbolically. And so Hippocrates uh, suggested that forewarning dreams were often deviated from our normal dreams. Uh, Normally in our dreams, we'll dream about family, work, uh, things, past events, and things like that. But if all of a sudden you begin to dream about uh, death and corpses and body parts and fire and and your dreams are really deviating from normal. Uh, you really need to pay attention to what's going on. If at that time you're getting like a divorce, then you might say, oh, this has to do with my emotional upsetness about getting divorced. But if your life is just going along normally and all of a sudden your dreams change significantly with a lot of nightmarish figures, uh, you really might want to pay attention to what might be going on. And sometimes in those symbolic dreams, you'll see a part of your body being attacked, like you might have an animal attack a part of your body, or there might be a giant weight um, on your head or something like that. Uh, but, but oftentimes you'll have dreams that repeatedly focus on a part of your body, and that, that's when you should begin to pay attention to that part of your body and see if, if something might be uh, uh, wrong there. And, and in dreams, oftentimes things are over-exaggerated. So, so uh, in the dream, it can seem it's so over-exaggerated, it's totally over the top. But I think what's trying to go on there is, is it's just trying to get your attention to pay attention to this, to this dream. We have an email from Elsie in Cedar Rapids. She says, I have had anxiety dreams for months filled with being squashed, things falling on me, losing my children or other, other children and being lost, wandering forever. I was at the same time having a bad time at work. I resigned last week, and last night my dreams had my husband and I gliding around a store like we were on ice skates, dancing and swirling. (laughs) I woke up relaxed for the first time in months and months. And she goes on to say, "I I remember my dreams, and they tend to be very long and detailed and have used them for guidance since I was a teenager. Well, maybe she feels better, but she... She got out of a job she didn't like. I don't right. Know. So sometimes, and sometimes dreams are like that. They um, kind of emotionally show us uh, in symbolic terms um, um, something that's not constructive for us or something that needs attention or change. And not necessarily that Elsie had to quit her job, but she needed to make some sort of changes. And that's why sometimes people will try to incubate a dream uh, to kind of find a solution to what they realize 
is a problem for them. So before you go to sleep, you might, if you have anxiety, you might tell yourself, tonight I'll dream about something constructive I could do to help me deal with my anxiety. And then if you pay attention to your dreams, oftentimes you'll get a very direct uh, and sometimes symbolic uh, response to that request. Gene is calling from Martin County, Minnesota. Good morning and welcome to Talk of Iowa. Good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, This is a dream that I had that was a very healing dream. My parents died very close to one another, one of Alzheimer's disease and the other of cancer. And um, I just went into a clinical depression and could not cry. Um, I just couldn't grieve at all. And one night um, I had this dream that Mom and Dad were, were in my childhood home and they were there with my sister and myself, and we spent the entire night together. And my my dad was just doing the normal thing. He was sitting in his easy chair reading a newspaper, and my wow. mom was in the kitchen. And um, we just spent the whole evening together, and each parent told me that I needed to move on. And they said... Uh, you have two little girls to take care of, and you need to get on with your life. They assured me that they were okay and that I needed to attend to what I needed to attend to and live. And in the early morning, they walked off uh, up a hill that was near my childhood home, and my sister and I watched them, and I started sobbing. And I said to my sister, they were here, weren't they? And she said, yes, they were here. And I woke up and I told my husband, I have spent the entire night with my parents. And I just cried and cried and cried. And after that, I started to heal. Oh, great, Jean. That's a beautiful dream of a type of emotional healing uh, after the loss of parents. And, And I... I think oftentimes what's notable about these dreams is the is the very practical and thoughtful advice that the dreamer receives, that, that the person has to move on, that the person has children that they need to attend to and things they need to attend to. And, and it gives the person much more than this kind of experience is, is much more emotionally compelling and emotionally satisfying than, than probably... 20 visits to a psychiatrist. So, uh, Jean, thank you for calling and sharing that. Thank you. It was what I needed. Okay, Jean, appreciate Thanks. the call from mm-hmm. Martin Martin County in Minnesota. 866-780-9100. And here is Kelly, who is calling from Rowley, Iowa. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, when I was just shy of 40, I found myself uh, unexpectedly pregnant and um, I looked for a doctor and looked for a doctor and just could not find what I was looking for. And I was getting increasingly more anxious about it. And uh, one night in a dream, uh, my beloved family practitioner who had died about 10 years prior uh, came to me and I felt him put his hand in my womb and he said, uh, don't worry, everything is just perfect. 
And then he laughed and he said, and it doesn't matter who your doctor is because this baby is coming. And that was it. And um, I woke up and um, and just my anxiety had lifted. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I went and got a doctor and wasn't worried about it. And sure enough, um, my baby was absolutely perfect. And it was a very... A strong and fast delivery. There was no time for any medication or any anything. I could have had her in the back of the car, <laughs> and everything would have been just fine. And he was exactly right, and um, it was just at the at the right time. Okay, Kelly, thank you. You know, um, there's been a lot of research and study of uh, pregnant women and their dreams, and um, rarely do you see one though that's as uh, as just so direct and straightforward as this one is having your uh, deceased family doctor come and place his hand in your womb and tell you yes. everything's going to be okay and, and that uh, nothing to it worry was about. Wonderful. It was wonderful. I, I really loved him, and not, I, I also had a personal relationship with him, not just a professional relationship. So I don't know if he comes to all of his old patients. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone else mention it, but um, it was it was really wonderful, and he was exactly right, and I had a lot of anxiety about potential birth defects and things like that because of my age, and, and he put those all to rest. And, right, right. Um, it was wonderful. You know, in the book uh, Healing Dreams by Marky and Barash, he, he talks to some uh, medical doctors, uh, some women who are OBGYN and, and help their uh, clients uh, give birth. And, and oftentimes these medical doctors would have dreams about their patients. And sometimes they'd realize that uh, there were complications. They'd have dreams realizing that this client had a complication or or was going to have a breech birth or something like that. And so sometimes you wonder, do I get this information in uh, some kind of, kind of subconscious way? Or, you know, does this information come in some uh, kind of spiritual sense or, or, or some unknown sense? So, so but, but this is a... Is there a collective unconscious or, maybe or, that's, collect, that's connecting or, all of us? And, and so, so some people bring up that as well, that there's some sort of collective unconscious where everyone's connected and uh, and has information. But in any case, uh, Kelly, thanks very much for the dream. Yeah, thanks well, thank a lot you for, for the this call, topic. Kelly. It's very enlightening. You know, her dream was, so, as you say, was so straightforward. But you were talking earlier about, you know, trying to interpret symbols, and sometimes that has got to be very difficult. I've seen in bookstores reference books listing, you know, thousands of entries of interpret your dream. And right. Here's what this means, and here's what that means. And right. I don't know if you think those books are of, of much use. You know, um, a lot of these uh, dream dictionaries aren't of very much use. Uh, mm. If I was going to investigate uh, interpreting dreams, uh, I think I'd go out to my library or go to my bookstore and, and get some of the books by uh, Gail Delaney, uh, Ph.D. Uh, she's written a number of books about interpreting dreams. And um, also Patricia Garfield, uh, Ph.D., uh, she, she's written some excellent books on, on interpreting dreams. Because for each person, it's going to be different. Uh, the, the symbols that make sense to me uh, might not have any meaning for you. But um, I think one thing that Kelly does bring up, though, is uh, let's say you did have uh, dreams and thought that you were getting some sort of warning. Um, how would you bring this up to a medical staff? And, and because uh, sometimes uh, people are concerned about that. Uh, in this book by, uh, by Marky and Barash, he talks about a head nurse at a Canadian hospital who heard an authoritative voice in her dream tell her that she had breast and uterine cancer. And so here she is, the head nurse. She wakes up from that, 
Uh, she goes to her doctor at the hospital and says that she had this dream and the voice said that. And so she felt very relieved when the doctor said, well, we'll set you up for a pelvic exam and a mammogram. And the or the test showed and confirmed what her dream had told her, that she had breast and uterine cancer. So, so oftentimes, though, when it comes to a symbolic dream, you have to be a little bit more careful because uh, sometimes uh, people aren't very adept at uh, dealing with symbolic dreams, and you almost have to have a voice announce it in order for you to really take action. Because a polar bear mentioned earlier <laughs> right. might mean something different to me. Exactly. This is Talk of Iowa. I'm uh, Dennis Reese talking to Robert Wagoner of Ames, author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. Uh, here is uh, an email that has come in from Catherine. Have you ever heard of dual lucid dreaming? My daughter and I have dreamt we were flying next to each other while we shared a bed. In my dream, we looked at each other and smiled. When we woke up, we both remembered the flying dream. <laughs> right. You know, um, shared dreaming or mutual lucid dreams, um, th that's something that I cover in my book. I give a chapter on it because people have actually tried to induce this. And uh, and it's hard to tell whether it's uh, telepathic or whether it's coincidental or what it is, but it seems like this is another area uh, that, that science uh, needs to pay some attention to when studying. Let's go to Pam in Iowa City. Good morning, Pam. Hey, my name's Sam, but no worries. Good morning to you. <laughs> I'm having trouble with the screen today. Uh, Not a problem. Um, I just wanted to know, I have a recurring theme. It's never in the same way, but it's always that I'm trying to get away from something. It can be like a parent that it's aliens or zombies or right. it's just bad people. And it's not necessarily that I'm upset or scared in the dream. I'm just constantly like finding a new hiding place or getting away. And sometimes my son is with me. Sometimes I'm by myself, but it's always, I'm trying to get away from something. I was just I know it's hard to interpret. Right, right. You know, um, yeah, and and, and um, uh, I'm not interpreting dreams, but in general terms, uh, those are kind of quite common dreams. And, and, and I'd recommend the book by uh, um, Patricia Garfield. I think it's called The Universal Dream Key. And in that book, she has a whole chapter on these kind of uh, flight dreams, dreams in which we're being chased. And, and uh, she helps people kind of nail it down. You know, if they're running from their anxiety or if they're running from their responsibilities or what it, exactly it is that they're afraid of and running from. But, but yeah, that's a very uh, common dream thing. Okay, thank, thank you. Okay, let's uh, see how many more names I can mess up. Let's try. <laughs> <laughs> let's see if I get this one right. Is it uh, Romy from Ames? Yes, it is, Romy, uh, and I'm so right. glad to hear that, that Robert Wagner is here in Ames. But anyway, <laughs> what a fascinating show. Um, yeah, my friend and I are totally into the dream stuff, and I was just curious, how do you, like, prepare yourself or remember, you know, prepare yourself before you go to sleep or try to remember, he says, oh, set your alarm or think about when you wake up. What did I just dream of? How do you, you know, prepare yeah. yourself or make yourself aware, like, okay, I want to remember my dreams, and when right. I go to sleep tonight, when you wake up, how do you say, okay, what was that dream about? Right, I, I understand. Dream, like, fish. Yeah. Go ahead, fish and the, moons and stuff like that. Okay, Romy. So so uh, normally I believe people don't remember their dreams for two reasons. Uh, first, they either give no value to their dreams. They think dreams are meaningless or nonsensical, and so why remember something like that. So if that's the case, you have to suggest to yourself, uh, tonight while I'm asleep, 
I'll be able to remember one of my dreams or the most important dream. J- just start out easy with trying to remember just one dream, and you'll write it down in your dream journal uh, in the morning. It's one of those things. If you don't start jotting down some notes, uh, within a few minutes, it's very easy to forget the dream. Uh, the the other type of people who don't remember their dreams are those people who uh, sometimes are traumatized in life. Um, like when they're a little kid, their parents are going through a divorce, they're having horrible nightmares, and so they tell themselves they never want to remember their dreams again. And, and th- those are the people who have to uh, kind of uh, come to their dreaming self and, and tell their dreaming self that now they're ready to remember their dreams again and, and that they allow it to happen. But um, it's easy, you know, because I don't know too much trouble that I had when I was little. It was pretty good, right. but, but I I do like my dreams. But I, as soon as I wake up and try to remember them, they disappear so quickly, and they were so vivid. I they are totally vivid. My yeah, friends. Yeah. So so what I do, uh, what I do myself, uh, I have a journal by my bedside, and so when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll just jot down a few notes, just just three or four words in my dream journal. Just so in the morning, when I see those three or four words, I'll think, oh, yeah, um, I was in Ohio. I was driving down a highway in a van, and, and then I can remember the rest of the dream. But, but thanks for your call, Rami. Thank you. Thank you. Talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. We have a couple of lines open. I speak with uh, Robert Wagner. And next, let's go to Don. I hope it's Don in Davenport. Good morning, Don. Yes, it is Don. All right. (laughs) And you are on the program. Interesting college uh, story. I was always a little late in getting my uh, paper, written paper assignments uh, done. And I'd get into the habit of doing all my studying and cramming for this paper. And then I'd go to sleep. And in the morning, I'd wake up and I'd have it composed in my head. (laughs) It became a habit for me. (laughs) You know, there have been studies showing that uh, creativity is enhanced uh, during the dream state. Uh, they, they'll they pose a problem that requires a creative solution uh, to a group of students. Uh, one student set of students, they'll let them sleep and come back the next day and solve it. And they do 30% better than the control group that immediately has to sit down and try to solve the problem. So so oftentimes uh, they're, they're beginning to study that dreams actually apparently appear to enhance our creativity and uh, an ability to uh, solve problems. Fascinating. Okay, Don, anything, anything else? No, that's it. It, just, uh, it was an interesting way for me to get these things done, and it worked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Robert, you've, how long have you been studying dreams? You know, um, I, I began back when I was a teenager. Um, okay. I, I was very fascinated by dreams, and also at that time I taught myself how to lucid dream. So, so that was more than 30 years ago, and I became just totally uh, involved in the subject. What was interesting two weeks ago is uh, I was invited out to the University of Washington and Evergreen State College um, in Olympia, Washington, and University of Washington in Seattle. And uh, I was talking to classes out there who are using my books, uh, my book in their consciousness study courses, uh, because lucid dreaming is an interesting uh, state of consciousness, when you can become consciously aware in the dream state, uh, then you can do some pretty amazing things. And so so it was a lot of fun to go out there and talk to students who are actually using my book as required reading for their consciousness study course. Next up on uh, our phone list here is Julie, who is calling from Coralville. Hello, Julie. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I wanted to share a very profound experience I had with a dream 
Um, I've also been studying my dreams since I was a teenager, and that was over 30 years ago. I kept a dream journal, but um, I remember very specifically in November of 1990, I had a dream that was uh, very lucid, and in the dream I had a, a, a six-pointed white star that was pulsing from the middle of my forehead, and I had this other bright light that was uh, kind of over the right side of my abdomen, and at the time I was 34 years old, and about six months later I began feeling very ill, and I went to actually the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics and found out that due to diabetes my kidneys were failing and that I was going to need a kidney transplant. And they told me that um, because of the nature of my diabetes, at the time they were also doing pancreas transplants, so I could have both a pancreas and a kidney, but the uh, risk was that I could either die under anesthesia because it was a long surgery, and all kinds of other complications could take place. So my husband and I really needed to make up our mind what would be the best thing for me to do, maybe even go on dialysis and skip the transplant. Well, we went home, and my husband said, you know, it's really your decision, and I went into the bedroom and started just idly flipping through my dream journal without any purpose, and I turned to the page that had the November dream with the light um, at my forehead and at my right abdomen, and the doctor had told me that they transplant the kidney on the left side in the pelvic area near the pelvic bone and the pancreas in the right side near the pelvic bone, and I immediately connected that symbology with the fact that I should go ahead and get both the kidney and the pancreas because there was this beautiful bright white light where the pancreas would have gone. And I went ahead and got the transplant, and my 19th anniversary is this summer, and I'm in great health. I feel great, and I am just so we grateful We just have a few for... seconds left, Julia. Uh, go- congratulations. Yeah, I'm really grateful for the, for the dreams. And I just want to mention one book. Very quickly. I hear your, your author. It's called The Art of Spiritual Dreaming by Harold Klemp, K-L-E-M-P. Great. And okay. that, that's it. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you for the call. Robert, we're out of time. Well, I really appreciate the, uh, the hour and uh, your uh, comments and observations. It's always a, a very interesting program. Robert Wagner, thanks so much. Thanks, Dennis. Talk of Iowa is a production of Iowa Public Radio News. We had help today from our student assistant, Christoph May, also help from Eric Jordan in Ames. Talk of Iowa back tomorrow, Politics Day at 10 o'clock. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Reese.